hands together. Lord, it's in your presence is where we really belong, behind the veil, where no tradition keeps us back from your presence, but where your Holy Spirit has free access to us and we to you. We ask, Lord, you'll reveal yourself to us through the Word today. Lord, we've heard enough lectures. We've heard enough even teachings and doctrines. We want the life of the Word, Lord. The power of Christ to reach forth. Bringing it, Lord, just from something more than a dead tradition to a living Christ. I ask your blessings, Lord, upon us today in your presence because that's where we do belong. Lord, it's within us. And we heard this other song that said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Lord, when we think of your promises and what your word declares for this day, it causes us to cry out, to speak. Lord, may we today speak with authority. May we speak with wisdom. May we speak, Lord, in a way that the Holy Spirit can just come back and say amen to it by you performing signs and wonders, deliverance in the name of Jesus. Lord, you know those that are needy today that need a touch from you. Lord, those that have never come in your presence, have never accepted that atonement, I'm asking, Lord, you'll do a work of grace today. Yeah, I know sometimes, Lord, this service gets long and people's attention span gets short. But, Lord, you can call your elect to attention today. That they'll see the reality of the Word of God and the truth of that Word will, will draw them into your presence. As the veils come off of their faces, that they'll recognize your presence. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 27 in the 50th verse, we want to just say today, I, I was listening to some of the songs. I couldn't hardly constrain myself as um, listening to the song Brother Tim sang. My, my wife said this morning, on the way to church, she said a couple of things. She said, I just love Sunday and being able to come to church. I just love going to church. I think that's a sentiment of every believer. Amen. I just love being in the house of God, gathering together with, the, with other believers. And then she said, you know, I, I hope Brother Tim will sing that song again, Fire Shut Up in My Bones. So, you know, um, but that was reminiscent to me of, of uh, many, many days ago, being in Brother Branham's meetings, and that's the kind of singing we heard, amen, where there was just a real jubilation and worship of God, and you know, um, there, there was a look behind the veil, and it caused people to get excited, amen, rejoice in this truth, and it was, it was like fire shut up in their bones, and I, I'll tell you, I, that's Again, is a description of my own experience with God. Amen. I, I, can't, I can't help but tell 
what a wonderful Savior he is and what it means to me. Amen. To share it everywhere that I go. And amen. Today we're wanting to look in the Word and just, I just trust that it'll, it'll just light a fire and, of this kind of glory. Amen. amen. You know, someone the, the other day, um, they took a, a, the pillar of fire and put it with a mechanical device of, where they could play um, certain sermons of Brother Branham's. And, and you know, when you, you realize that sometimes that's all that people have left is a painted fire. And, but you'll never get warm by painted fire. We want more than just something, a picture. You know, with a, with a fire of something that was in the, in the past. We want the word that that prophet preached to become so alive in our hearts that it's like fire in our bones. Amen. That we can't be quiet. That we got to tell everywhere that we go. Amen. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what we want to do. We don't want to present a painted fire that you can never get warm by. But we want the fire of the Holy Spirit that have been manifested Amen. in our lives. Amen. Amen. People that have come into the Shekinah glory, went behind the veil of traditions and seek Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Won't you be praying for us? God willing, we're going to be starting a something, uh, an outreach here that we will be um, recording and sending out in every avenue that is possible to try to reach as many people that we can around the world. I believe it's a time that we must, we must do everything we can to reach the predestinated seed of God. Amen. And even, even if there um, may be those that will be in the tribulation and the church there, we can just encourage one soul to move a little higher with God. Amen. It may be that it may be through that that they just wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb and make them white, just by hearing that word going forth. So be in prayer with us about that, and um, you know we we just are looking to God to do some great things. Amen. Matthew twenty-seven verse fifty. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Amen. May God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to be speaking today on tearing down the veils of tradition. We have been speaking in some of the services past about the question of mercy. About the question of the mercy seat, of the, of the office, the present office of high priest that Jesus right now um, presides over. Yes. And, and that it is a throne of grace that we can approach to to find help in our time of need. And of course, we, when we talk about mercy, we hear the admonition of the prophet of God who would tell us, um, in question and answers, uh, when they ask him his mercy over, he said, mercy, no. He said, ah, why would you ever think that? Don't you ever think that? And I think that should be our whole uh, viewpoint is, is that mercy is great and grace is free. 
And that we should be offering it to every person that is here around the world to ever need. To every person, no matter where they are, what culture they are, what color, race, um, nation, whether they're rich, whether they're poor. We have a responsibility to go and tell somebody else what Jesus has done for us. And that there is a way made into his presence. The question of mercy comes about because men cannot intellectually piece together how the book can be taken and opened by the Lamb without ending intercession. And this is because it defies the intellect of man and just absolutely blows his peanut brain. Because one thing man always wants to do is try to bring God down to his level. And so therefore limit God in what he is able to do in his ability. So they cannot see him doing a work upon the earth and yet being in the heavens. They cannot see him in the great um, coming of the word uh, of Revelation 10 where the word came to a prophet, the mighty angel descending from heaven. Um, and, and they cannot see him doing that and yet being able to do his intercessory work at the same time. And again, it's because man thinks in a limited term, trying to use his own intellect. And it just cannot understand this God that is totally unfathomable. That, uh, that we cannot put in a certain box of our own way of thinking. Amen. But you know what? What John saw can only be understood properly by someone who is born again. So even when you're looking in the book of Revelation, you, you really need a new birth to really understand it. And that's because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The carnal man can only think carnally. You see, the Bible would say in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So it really takes the Holy Spirit in order to make known. Uh, and this leaves, this leaves a lot of intellectual men hanging or out there with a, with a theology that doesn't work, that has no power in it. Now, the Bible is pretty plain. Even in the book of Daniel, it said, you know, that the wise shall understand and none of the wicked shall understand. And that's because the understanding comes by the new birth. You know, if you don't have it today, I would seek for it with all my heart. Because again, you'll never clearly see and understand what all of this noise is about, what all of what God's doing in this end time without a real supernatural birth where that you meet God and come into his presence. And, the, you know, the, of course, uh, this makes Satan to hate revelation because Satan just can't get it. He can't comprehend it. So Brother Branham would make that statement that we all know Satan hates revelation, but we love it. Amen. Because it allows us into the mystery and to being able to understand what God's doing in this age and this time. 
Now, of course, John 3 and 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see. That means to understand the kingdom of God. So you see, these, this is the teaching of Jesus. The revelation is exclusive to those that are spirit-filled. Amen. You just you you can get knowledge by being a human and with carnal understanding and not and 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 being taught something. Uh, but you can you can receive knowledge. But to receive revelation, it takes the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's why we, we are dependent upon the Holy Ghost, not upon theology, not upon our, our um, schools of learning, not even in, in message uh, schools of learning. We are dependent upon revelation. I mean, because only by revelation will it ever be made plain and understandable. Without it, you cannot understand the kingdom of God. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in Christ the Mystery, he said, notice in the last days, Lucifer is doing the same thing. Can you see it? The devil is doing the same thing, building a hybrid church, a hybrid by hybrid members, hybrid by knowledge instead of the word, by intellectual men instead of born-again men. Building an intellectual kingdom that will outshine Christ's little bitty flock. So, see, what, what is it that did that? Fallen angels. The Bible said it was fallen angels who listened to Lucifer instead of Christ, who they once belonged to. Is, is that right? You see, now, listen close. Fallen angels, what kind of angels? It is Luther, Wesley, Catholic. Pentecostals who kept not their first estate um, like the angels did and has fell into organization like Lucifer's main hold at Nicaea. So you see, this, this is the problem is fallen angels get into the ministry. You see, Satan will masquerade himself as an angel of light. Amen. And the deception in the last day gets worse and worse and worse as Matthew 24, 24 becomes fulfilled and expands itself over and over and over into every circle that there is, into every congregation, to every place. You know, one of the greatest deceptions of, the, of today where such a deceiving age is where people can be good people and nice people and think that that's the new birth. Because they go to a church or they accept a philosophy or, or they, they accept a teaching, then they are born again. That's one of the greatest spirits of deception, ways that the devil deceives so many people today. Remember, this is not an imparting of knowledge. You cannot pass this message on intellectually. It requires a new birth. And a new birth takes a dying out to sin, a dying out to your own thinking, a dying out to your own mind, and humbling yourself down and saying what God said is right. Even sometimes when you cannot humanly understand that, you just understand God said it. So therefore, it's got to happen. It's got to be the truth because God said so and his word cannot fail. Amen. Amen. Now, 
But you see, this is a part of the binding in the last day. We're at a harvest time, and there's a great binding that is going on. The straw is being bound, and, and, they, and those that are binding the straw have no part in the gathering of the grains of wheat into the barn. You see, it's totally different. The quest, now listen, our quest for God must not be like Eve, just a lust for knowledge. Amen. Our quest must be a zeal to repent. Our quest must be, Lord, I've been wrong. And I need your guidance. I can't find the way alone. I've got to have the Holy Ghost. I've got to have your spirit to lead me. I've got to have true revelation that will, that will do away with my own intellectual thinking. Amen. Now, the quest for God must not be like Eve. That was a lust for knowledge. Our quest must be a zeal to repent, to humble down, let the word change us. Amen. To change us what? Into the image of Christ. A lot of people are changed, all right, by religion. They're changed into arrogant. Their nose up in the air. A greater than higher and holier than thou attitude. You know, a legalism. Where that, you know, they're totally unbendable and become a Pharisee or a Sadducee. God help us not to become that. God help us to be humble, loving, wonderful, sweet Christians who, who, find, who find the very mind of God, that the revelation of the hour, because that God spoke in this day and hour. Now, our quest must be to repent. Our quest must, must be every time that we even hear the prophet of God say something. It isn't, or, or the Bible, it isn't to prop up what we believe, but Lord, show me where I'm wrong. I want to be right. Amen. So, you know, the knowledge that the serpent gave Eve changed her from life into death. From, immort- from immortality to mortal. Now, you see, here's the deal. I, it reminds me of the story that Brother Branham told about a canary. And he, he, he used this illustration, said there was a, a canary that learned all the words that humans speak. You know, many, many words. Had a, had a large vocabulary. And, and it, one day he sat up on his little perch, with, put his little glasses on, and, you know, and said, in this uh, denomination of ours, we do, I'm one of the smartest canaries. I've obtained so much knowledge and, you know, until I know all about everything there is to know about human beings. And he said, about that time, here comes a prof- professor from, uh, 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 from a school of learning like Purdue or Harvard or something. And here he comes up, you know, and he begins to speak about words that this little canary has no idea what it means. And so he, he didn't know what he was talking about, you know. Uh, he didn't know what the man was saying. And he just looks up there this way and that way, and you know, because he had ears. But, because, but he couldn't understand what he was saying because all he had was a canary brain. 
And he said, that's the way our seminary teaching and knowledge is. And human understanding, come on, even in all the schools of learning that there is out there today, men uh, think they know all about God. Till they write their creeds, they write their dogmas, they have uh, their theories, they have, they have their theologians, and they think they know everything there is about God. And all they are is a canary brain. They don't really, they think they know all about him, but they don't know him. This is what Brother Branham could say to the theologians who said, Brother Branham, you don't know your Bible. Because Brother Branham, they knew it from theology. And Brother Branham's answer to that said, yes, but I, that may be true, but I know the author real well. And that they couldn't argue with. Amen. You see, it's knowing him that is light, not knowing about him. And we can impart a lot of knowledge, and the message community is real good at doing this, imparting a lot of knowledge, but what we really want to see imparted is eternal life. That you come to know the author. Our little finite minds can never understand God. And Brother Branham said Brother Branham said this about that, said they substituted handshakes and everything else for the new birth. And it'll never take the place of a new birth. It's got to be an experience, a born again. We all know that, uh, that any kind of birth is a mess. And Brother Branham would talk about that over and over and over again, whether it's in a pink decorated hospital room or whether it's in a pig pen, it's a mess. And he said it it isn't a style or decoration of creeds. It's a baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the secret, that's the secret of the real believing church, born again. That separates you from everybody else. And when that you met God and no theologian, nobody can argue it out of you. Amen. Because you know you met him. They ain't just going up and shaking their hands and said, I take Jesus as my Savior. Or, well, I embrace the, the truth of the message. And so, oh, now you're a believer. No, it's where you die to sin and you come up and you become a new creature in Christ. And your old thinking goes and you receive the new mind of Christ. Come on. That's why Paul would say, I don't come to you with words of wisdom. But I come, I come preaching the power of the Holy Ghost so your faith would rest in that. Amen. I don't want your faith resting in, in my abilities to break down the word and being a theologian and, you know, be a, I went to school. And I don't want your faith resting in that. I want your faith resting in this. Amen. That in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. And there again, it ain't just acknowledging that God's a God of miracles and that there are miracles that are done in our church. That is not it. It's you when you become the miracle yourself. That's the greatest miracle there is. Amen. But you see, we, we as Brother Branham would tell us, he said, you know, we, we've substituted these other things and that's why our locks are cut off. In other words, Samson, that's where you lost your power. 
And that's where we lose our power when we go to begin to, to emphasize theology and just dead teaching without the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, because the word has got to be mixed with faith. Is that right? That's the Bible. Now, Jesus even told us this. Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, of heaven, but to them it's not given. You see, it's not given to everybody. But it happens to be given to the elect of God. And not just those who say, I'm elect because I embrace the teaching, but those who, who have showed their election by being born again. Because only the elect can be born again. Amen. Now, Jesus, of course, would speak in parables. Look what this is. Why are you speaking parables to him? Why are you speaking in parables? And, and then, but he would speak in parables, and then he would interpret or give the meaning of them to his disciples. If you, if you just notice, this is from Matthew 13. They, they would come and ask him, but, but what did you mean by this? This is what you said, but what did you mean? And Jesus would give them the interpretation. Now, you see, parables are, are, are metaphors in language, that, and they're used to paint a picture. And symbols are an allegory or metaphor similar to a parable. And the symbol has to be interpreted to reveal its hidden meaning. Amen? Now, so the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. That means it's full of metaphors. It's rich in symbology. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in the church age book, you recall that I mentioned at the beginning of this message that this book we are studying is the actual revelation of Jesus himself in the church and his work in the future ages. Then I mentioned it takes the Holy Spirit to give us revelation or we will fail to get it. Amen. Now you begin to wonder why some people just can't get it. Amen. I remember some years ago discussing something with a preacher back and forth and back and forth and just showing him plainly, you know, in the, in the scripture and in the message, you know, what God has, has done. And I had, I had a, a number of, of, of exchanges with him and he just couldn't get it. So when it come down to it, I just simply asked him, are you born again? Because there's some reason you can't get it. That's exactly right. You know, and, and if you go right down to it, that is the root problem of most of the, of the veils of theology in this message. They are created by men who have never been born again. Amen. You can't be born again and you're coming up with something different than what the prophet said and the Bible said. The Bible said he can't deny himself. Now, so he said it, I mentioned it takes the Holy Spirit to give us revelation or we fail to get it. Bringing these two thoughts together, you will see it won't just take an ordinary study and thinking to make this book real. Now, I don't know what you want, but I want the book to be real. 
And real means full of power. It's got full of life in it. It's got transforming power in it. Brother Timothy preached about the other day. It's got power in it. Life. I want the book to be real. Now, so he said in order for it to be real, it won't take ordinary study. And it won't take just, you know, thinking, ordinary thinking. People thinking most of the time this is what's getting them in trouble and you say well it's the preachers brother Tim I'm going to tell you there's been as much of this nonsense come right over you know tables where women and men have sat there and discussed these things and come up with their own ideas as there has preachers amen oh yeah I know what I'm talking about I've seen it happen now but that means this book cannot be revealed to to anyone but a special class of people. Amen. I hope you're starting to feel a little special this morning. You ought to. Because you're, you're a new species. Amen. You're a different species than what the world knows about. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That means a new species. You're not bald. There's nothing else like you. You're unique. You're peculiar. That means you're set apart. There's nothing else like you. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. Hallelujah. Amen. A special class of people. And it will take one with prophetic insight. Oh, man. Man, not only does the prophet need prophetic insight, but it also, you need prophetic insight. Amen. It will require the ability to hear from God. What does he say in every age? To him that hath an ear, let him hear. Those that... Has the ability to hear, let them hear this. The rest of them ain't going to hear it. They just won't get it. Now, it'll require supernatural instruction. Not just a student comparing verse with verse, though that's good. But a mystery requires the teaching of the Spirit or it never becomes clear. How we need to hear from God and lay ourselves open and become yielded to the Spirit to hear and know. So, you know, we have a world today that is still stumbling in darkness because most of the Bible lays hidden in symbols and dark sayings. Now, if you just take the book of Genesis for a moment and see, and there, there you see a talking snake, a wicked tree with a magic apple. And by eating it, it would cause all the sin in the world. You see, that part of Genesis was an allegory. It was a metaphor. Amen. It was something that was written there, hidden from the eyes of the wise and the prudent. So when, they, when you go and you, you read it and you just take it at face value, you got a magic tree, a talking snake, amen, a magic apple, a tree of death that can change you from mortal from immortality into mortals. Now, as I said, that's what happens when you take it literally. But just as the tree of life was symbolic of a person, Jesus Christ, so was the tree of death symbolic to Satan or of Satan. You know, to, to eat of the fruit of Satan's knowledge. Notice, if it was a tree of knowledge, 
and there was fruit on that tree, then what came off the tree? Knowledge. Amen. And so, so to eat of the fruit of Satan's knowledge was to partake of sin and death. Amen. By such a means, the human race fell from an immortal to mortal. And the only thing that will change us back to immortality is the new birth. This is why we must be born again. Amen. Because the first birth births us into mortality. The second birth births us as immortals. Amen. And that comes by eating from the tree of life. Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. If you don't eat of me, you're going to die. So again, you know, here was, here was one that if you eat of, if you eat of, you die. And Jesus said, if you don't eat of me, you'll die. So you see, the same comes along with, with the Godhead. Let's just deal, deal with that for a moment. Because it's written in the Bible, and yet it's still a mystery to the theologians. Now, I'm not just saying that. They, 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 theologians, they'll, they'll, after they hash it all out and throw it all up in the air and let it all fall down with all their scriptures, they said, uh, it, it's still a mystery. Every one of them. Their schools of knowledge is still a mystery. Now, Jesus, you know, presented a word without explaining it. He would do that to shut up the foolish questions of the Pharisees, and he just left them bewildered. And even after the veil was removed and showed that there were not two lords, we've had message theologians that have twisted the view of God that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? After the veil was taken off, where well, we can see there's one God. Amen. One God. What happened to us? People put up another veil. And they distort the view of it looking through their veil until you got two lords. Now, let's, let's, just, let's just show Jesus gave this parable, this, this, this twister. It was a twister. He did it to give them a question that, that they can't answer. And it really can't be answered unless you're born again. Right. Matthew twenty two forty one. 41, the Pharisees were gathered together and Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they said unto him, the son of David. And he said unto them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said unto my Lord. Now, this is literally translated, Jehovah God said unto my Lord, master. So, the Lord said to my master. So, it's speaking of the Messiah. And he, and he says, um, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make mine enemies thy footstool. If David called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither dust any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So here's what he'd come. They'd come with every kind of question to Jesus. And Jesus finally said, listen, I'll answer yours, but you've got to answer mine first. For what's fair and fair? And so he puts forth a question to them that they can't answer. Now, so, you know, basically, you know, Jesus said, well, if, if Christ is David's son, 
Well, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? God said to my master, sit there at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Now, if David calls him master, how can he at the same time be his son? And they scratched their head and said, well, we can't figure that one out. That's over our heads. So they couldn't figure it out. Now, I want you to listen to a prophet of God. We'll see this in my little Bethlehem. Not only was this great son only the son, he was the root and the offspring of David. He was even before David. He'll be after David. He was for everlasting, from everlasting on, and according to the flesh and all things to be fulfilled, he he was the son of David. So you see, he said he's before David, he's after David. But you see, they could not figure out how that God could become flesh. They could not figure out how God could become a man. Now, Brother Branham says in Convinced and Concerned, he said one day, he said, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, he's the son of David. And he said, why did David? Now, take the carnal part away. Why did David in the spirits call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, and sat there on my right hand, in, in the revelations, he said, I am the root and offspring of David. I was before him. I'm him, and I'm now. Henceforth, they asked him nothing. That was too much of a twister. They didn't understand that. Their theological training hadn't brought them to it, and neither can it yet. They tried it a long time and can't explain it yet. It is only revealed to those who it will be revealed to. Amen. Amen. Now, Brother Branham explained this whole story in the, in the message of Mighty God Unveiled. And the way that he did it was, was he, he said, I, I, was, I read this story about a, a king. It was a great noble king. And, and um, it's, maybe this is fiction, but again, it's a story. It's a parable to make a point. It's a metaphor. But it, so it leads us to a point, to background what we want to say. That this king, he was a noble king. He was such a great lover of his subjects. To one day before his guards and his royalty, he said, Today, you'll see me for your last time like this. And, he, and he's, uh, they said, well, well, go king, you know. Where are you going to go? Are you going to a foreign country? Or, you know, uh, are you going to become an alien? No, he said, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going, but I'm going out amongst my subjects, and I'm going to become a peasant. I'm going to go out to cut wood with the woodcutter, and I'm going to go uh, till the ground with the toiler. I'm going to prune the, the vines with the, those who prune the vines. I'm going to be one of them. I want to get better acquainted with them, what they're doing, and I love them, and I, I want them to know me. They'll never really know me sitting on the throne, but I want to come personally acquainted with all of my subjects. And he said, so today I'm going to put off my robes. And, uh, and so from before all his delegates, he strips himself of his king robes and he puts on the robes of a peasant. And he walks out amongst the common people. And, and, you know, they, of course, they wanted him to remain king, but he said, no. He said, I want to know you better. 
I want to come to know you in a great. I want you to come to know me. And that's the way it was. We couldn't know God as a distant God. Amen. That was a spirit that's invisible. So God would come and actually walk on earth to demonstrate how he would live on earth as a man. Hallelujah. Oh, if you can ever get a view of that, you'll see the own view of your own life as a Christian, as another son of God. Come on now. Amen. You're determined to do what Jesus did, to live how Jesus lived, to have the same attitude toward the sick that Jesus had. And we should have the same attitude toward the devil that Jesus had. That means everywhere we meet him, we cast him out. Amen. His attitude is still the same. And all you have to do is read the New Testament and you'll see what the church is to be in the last day. Amen. As he is Christ. She is Christ manifested upon the earth. So Brother Bradham said, and that's what God did. He changed himself from being Jehovah God to become one of us that he might suffer He might taste death. He might know what the sting of death was to take the penalty of death upon himself. And he laid aside his crown and his robe and become one of us. He washed feet with the lowly. He dwelt in tents with the poor. He slept in the woods and in the street and with those that were underprivileged. He become one of us that he might understand us better and that we might understand him better. So what do we get the picture of? Amen. How did this happen? My Lord said unto my Lord. Amen. My Lord said to the Messiah. Jehovah said to my Messiah. To the Messiah. The Messiah will sit at my right hand. Until I make all of his enemies my footstool. Or his footstool. Until I subdue all things. He will work as intercessor. As mediator. Until all is brought under his feet. You know, sometimes we talk about redemption and we want to just narrow it down even to the rapture. It even goes beyond the rapture. It even goes to the white throne judgment. Do you realize that? There are some given life at the white throne judgment. Remember, you say, well, Brother Tim, those are just being saved, not redeemed. Okay, well, I'll go along with that. But let's take it a little further. The earth is still a part of his redemption process. So even when all man, every elect name that's on the book is redeemed, is somebody with me now? He will still redeem the earth. So don't narrow redemption down to just a little time. Are just to one people. But God laid all of his, of his deity behind him to come and walk among us as a man. To demonstrate his deity in a man. A man, ever Holy Ghost filled person. Jesus is your pattern. Is that right? Now, in the message of grace, Brother Branham tells about this. Uh, and, and it's a wonderful st- story of how he was, went out hunting one morning. It was a gray day and the light wasn't shining. So it couldn't have been a reflection. 
But he sees a light in the distance as he goes up towards Sportsman's Hollow. And as he walks up, he looks and he sees a rainbow coming up out of the earth. And there are three, three uh, different rainbows that are coming up out of, out of one. And, and he saw it, one to the right, one to the left, one in the center, running down into one bowl-like. And it was moving, making its emotions. Well, I'm sure that was a strange sight, don't you? Amen. I would think so. He walks out there and he wants to get close as he can. So he takes off his, his shoes and tries to get a little closer, get as close to it as he can. And he said, it was just gray and dawn. And I turned and looked again and screamed out, oh God, what would you have your servant to know? Amen. Oh, here comes that question. Amen. He's asking God, what do you want me to know? Here you are revealing yourself. What do you want me to know? And just then, the Spirit of the Lord came in and said, Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old. He only changed his mass from spirit to man. That was confirming, of course, my message of him. Let me know assured that these 31 years has not been in vain. And oh, if you can hear from the other side, even Brother Branham, it's still not in vain. There are still people that believe that message. Amen. What is it that the Jesus of the New Testament is? Jehovah of the Old. He only changed his mask. He only laid aside his clothes of kingship. Amen. As the lion, as the judge, he only took off his robe and walked out with a common robe of mankind. Amen. What was it? Jehovah who sat on the throne becomes the lamb to intercede. Amen. Oh, I'm glad there's an intercession today. I'm glad to know him. I'm glad, I'm glad, friends, that we hadn't been turned into a bunch of pagans today that make multiple deities or even that strips the deity away from Jesus Christ. But we see that the greatest of all revelations is the supreme deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not two lords. Listen, I just challenge anybody. You can, you can try three gods, three lords, three and God, and you can use those and, and search through any, any string search that you want to in the Bible. You'll never find it. You can take two and try to run it with God or Lord, and you'll never find two lords or three lords, three gods, You'll never find it. It ain't in your Bible. It is not in your Bible. Amen. And it isn't in your message. You can go and search two lords all through the message and you will not find one time where Brother Branham taught there are two lords and that Jesus was a minor God under God, but rather that he is God himself. That God took on humanity to pay the price of redemption. So when the veil got open, we didn't see another God up there. We saw the Jehovah of the Old Testament, who is the Jesus of the new, because God ripped the veil. But other theologians come up, put another knot. 
because intellectual men, intellectual men, instead of spirit-filled men, amen. Yeah, I was startled just then when he touched my shoulder (laughs) because it was two Sundays ago. I walked in my study after preaching and I went right back here in my study and I sat there in my chair and I thought in this room just the other day the angel of God was seen in this room when brother Ron was here and I felt a presence come and walk right straight up behind me and, and, and just, just there just so near I could touch it and I, until the, I looked to see who it was. Now, you may think, oh, that's just stuff going on. Let me just tell you something. My wife was in the same meeting for the last three to six months. She's had such a pain in her arm. She groaned at night, and when I touched it and everything else, and she'd move it a certain way, and standing right there, she felt someone touch her shoulder. Just a little light touch. She looked to see. She thought it was somebody behind her wanted, wanted to buy or something. And she looked to see what it was. And there was nobody there. But when, when she realized there wasn't a pain left in her shoulder. And it still healed to this moment. Hallelujah. You just only realized last, last Sunday the pillar of fire was seen and witnessed in this church by more than one. Amen. But then more than one. I tell you, church, there's a living God and a living presence. And we don't do that to build up, up us. We do that because we are pointing out to you that Jesus Christ is here the same yesterday, today, and forever. You tell me who was it put hair on, on Mariah Pruitt? Who was it that took the cancer out of Atlanta? Who was it that remained, removed a brain bleed? Who was it that healed Jude's little kidney? Who was it? Who was it that come here in our midst? Well, time after time after time. And I'll tell you why you don't see it. It's your veil. The veil of your flesh. Because once this flesh drops, supernatural will be more plain than this is. But that don't mean he's not here. I'm declaring that he is here. Hallelujah. I just wonder, do we know who's in our midst? But how dare some theologian to take and change a direct revelation from God? Put that one back up on Message of Grace. You know, they're, they're a direct revelation from God. The Spirit of the Lord came in. How dare anybody to change that? How dare anybody to put a veil there that would keep people from seeing one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. How dare anybody. A direct revelation that Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. How dare anybody want to take and defrock Jesus 
take away his deity. Declare that he was just a man. You see, as Brother Branham said about that scripture, that's too much of a twister. They can't understand it. Their theological training hadn't brought them to that. And neither can it yet. They've tried it a long time and can't explain it yet. It's only revealed to those who it will be revealed to. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you, when you get a true revelation from God, it won't be different than the Bible and it won't be different from the prophet. It won't be different than thus saith the Lord. But when men turn away from from personality cults and turn to the Lord. Remember this is what he said with, with Moses. He said when Moses is read or the Bible is read, you know, there's a veil over their face. Right? When they read in the Old Testament, there's a veil over their face. And then when men turn away from the veils made by personality cults and turn to the Lord. This is what he said of Israel. When they turn to the Lord. Amen. You, you, will not, you will not see through theology anymore. You'll see there is no salvation in any other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'll just use the scripture, you know, because this is the retort. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men and the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So now, let's, let's just stop and look at it for, for face value. So the bride's not the mediator. A church isn't the mediator. A preacher isn't the mediator. Amen. There's only one mediator, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. That's where he came to earth to mediate on our behalf. But, you know, you know they, uh, there are some that will read the scripture and say, but, Brother Tim, it's the man, Christ Jesus. You see, he wasn't God. He was a man. So they think it's the human intellect because then they say, well, boy, a four-year-old could read that and know there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So, you see, Brother Tim, you've got to be an ignorant dummy. Jesus was just a man. Now, you see, some are blinded by like the Jews, bewildered by the question. And you can't figure out God, how God could become a man, and that man, Jesus, became the payment for sin. You see, it's like Lucifer. You can't think that God could stoop that low. Come on, isn't that what he did? He, he can't, even today, Lucifer can't wrap his mind around how God could humble himself down and become a man for redemption. Just like when he met the, 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 the man of Gadara there, the, the maniac at Gadara, you know, he looked at him and said, how did you get in there? Because he saw behind that man, Jesus was almighty God. And he couldn't figure out how God could become a man. And over and over and over, if thou be the son of God, if thou be the son of God, if that's really who you are, prove it. And he couldn't believe it. But he cast him out. Even if he couldn't believe it. Amen. Amen. So Lucifer can't think God could stoop that low. And when we get men 
When you can't think like that, you just can't humble yourself down like that. You're such a high and mighty theologian who depends on your intellectual understanding of God that you can't see, like Lucifer, you can't see how God could become a man. You can't see how he would lay aside his, his robes of God to take on the robes of humanity. Oh, how did he do it? He did it without sexual birth. He did it by speaking a body. He did it by forming that body in the womb of Mary. He did it without the help of man. And God became a flesh. That's why his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, since they can't accept it, they do just exactly like Israel did the Jews, and they crucify him afresh because he as a man makes himself God. You see, that's why they killed him, because he was a man and made himself God, and he was God. Therefore, they crucify him afresh because He's God. As a man that makes himself, he makes himself God. They split him up and try to make Jesus just the son of God. A minor God under God. And so make him two lords. Yet there's not a single reference in the entire Bible or the message where it speaks of two, two lords or three gods. You have to use your intellectual mind. And you go to counting. I see one here and two there, so two lords. I see one, two, three, so I see three gods, three persons. And they're trying to figure God out by the intellect because it is only by revelation that you can see God in his power and in his deity. Now, in the resurrection of Lazarus, this is a 1953 sermon. But he said, I met a woman who doesn't believe that Jesus was divine. You know, that's a common teaching in the churches today. How did that get in the message then? You know, you know do you know all that? Do you all know that? They believe Jesus was just a prophet or a good man. If he wasn't God, he wasn't nothing. If he wasn't God, he's the biggest deceiver the world ever had. Hello, somebody? Did you hang up? Well, let me just say, you say that was 53. Okay, let's take it back. He's still using this very same concept after the seals are open in 63. And go wake Jesus. This woman had said to him, he was just a prophet. He was a good man, but he couldn't be no son of God because God couldn't have a son. God's a spirit. See, she failed to understand that God overshadowed Mary that brought forth the virgin birth. And she said to me, you make him divine, Mr. Branham. I said, he is divine. She said, why? Why, he couldn't be divine. Um, you, you said, you believe the Bible. He said, I do. And she said, I'll prove by your own Bible he cannot be divine, but he was merely a man, a good man. And they, well, if there's one of them in here, I don't want to hurt your feelings because Cross died. It was Christian science, you see. 
and, and said, now your healings and things, I believe in that every bit, but you make Jesus to be divine. I said, why? Here's 1963. Why? I said, he's either divine or the biggest deceiver the world ever had. See, I said, he's either God or he was nothing. Amen. He was either God or nothing. Let me just declare to you the one that we see in the, behind this veil, amen, because the veil has been ripped. The one that we see, Christ, clearly. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, he was God. Oh, this woman went on to tell Brother Branham, oh, my Brother Branham said he couldn't be divine. said, oh, I'll give you a scripture. And he said, well, what's your scripture? And he said, well, St. John 11, the Bible said he went down the grave of Lazarus. said, yeah, I know what you're reading. said, well, then the Bible said on his road down, he wept. I said, that's right. Well, then how could he be divine and then weep? And I said, my, my, your argument is thinner than the broth made out of a shadow of a chicken that starved to death. That wouldn't hold nothing. I said, do you mean to tell me that's the reason you believe he wasn't divine was because he wept? Oh. And he said, I I said, well, you see, you failed to see what he was. He was both man and God. See, he said he was a man while he was weeping. That's right. But he said, he said, when he went down to the grave now, amen, he went down there weeping, but he was a God man. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And when he stood there weeping, he dried his little tears up and his feelings of sympathy, and he squared his shoulders back and said, Lazarus, come on. Brother, that wasn't a man speaking. That was more than a man. That was God speaking. Hallelujah. Lazarus, his soul was on a three or four day journey somewhere. Don't know where he was, but whatever. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Even though the skin worms were crawling in his body and his nose was already falling in. And as he said, he stinketh a man that was dead. Rose up out of that grave, amen, and appeared unto them all, amen. Why? Because he's more than a man. Oh, when he stood it by the grave, there said, Let Lazarus come forth. Remember, he hadn't said Lazarus, the whole, all the dead in Christ would have come, amen. But oh, he was truly man when he looked down at a fig tree one day, amen, come down from a mountain. And looked at a fig tree trying to find something to eat. Man, but when he took five biscuits and two fishes and fed 5,000 people plus men and women and children. Hallelujah. And took up 12 baskets full more. Hallelujah. Showing that God is more than enough. Hallelujah. That was more than a man. That wasn't a man. That was God again. Amen. When he was laying in that boat and he was tired and the waves wouldn't even work, wake him up. He was so weary from his camp meetings, from the meetings, the healing, the sick, and all the things. Laid down to go to sleep. And there was thousands of times, ten thousands of devils swore they would drown him right there. 
Amen. You remember, Legion said there were legions. Said I'm called Legion because there's legions of devils. A legion is 7,000. So he had more than that. He had legions. We don't know how many he had taken in. Amen. And, and there, one moment when he come to himself, just enough. Oh, hallelujah. Just enough to breathe a little prayer that a man couldn't hear. But God could. He couldn't hear Legion's prayer as a man. But as God, he knew everything. Come on, somebody. I heard him breathe that little prayer. God, help me. In just that one little moment, he heads across the sea. Weary on his journey to find that one who had prayed that one little prayer. Hallelujah. You'll never hide God from a saint. Amen. And you'll never hide a saint from his God. God came looking for you when you were lost and out in sin. This God came looking for you. And those legions, knowing he was coming, rises out of legion there, goes out there and causes a storm in the atmospheres to try to keep Jesus from coming. Hallelujah. But in that moment when they would have destroyed them all, and then somebody woke up Jesus. Brother Adam said that's what we ought to do as a church. We ought to wake up to Jesus that is in this boat and realize he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he's God and that he reigns supreme. Hallelujah. If you'd wake up Jesus in your boat this morning, he'll calm the atmosphere. He'll calm the storms in your life. He'll take sin and darkness out of you. All you got to do is wake him. Oh, if we can bring him in this church, make him realize we cannot have him sitting dormant here among us. But let him come by and give you that touch. It'll do more than heal a shoulder. It'll heal a soul. Hallelujah. When that, when he woke up, Put his foot on the brow of the boat. Brother, that wasn't a man. That was more than a man. When he said, peace be still. You see, God, that was God in that man. When he was on the cross, and he on the cross, he begged for a drink of water. Amen. Said, I thirst. He was a man crying, I thirst. But on that Easter morning, he broke the seals of death, hell in the grave, and ascended up. Why he was more than a man, there was God in that man. Amen. Now, but now notice as we, as we realize it here this morning, you see, he, he was not just a man. Let's go back to the thoughts now. On, here's from Voice of the Sign, this 64th sermon. That's what stumbled them about Jesus. People are just still getting stumbled over it. They can't figure out. He must be just a man. That's what stumbled them about Jesus. They said, you're a man making yourself God. 
you know, it wasn't right. They kind of had it backward. It was God making himself a man. Hallelujah. They got it all wrong. You see, with their intellect, they said, you're a man making yourself God. But that ain't what happened. God had made himself a man. He was God. But they couldn't understand it. Well, you just being a man. People can't understand it today. Theologians get it all mixed up. Because they're not getting revelation. They're getting theology. Church age book. I admit it takes a real revelation from the Holy Ghost to see the truth about Godhead these days. When they're in the midst of the perverting of so much scripture. But the prevailing overcoming church is built on revelation. So we can expect God to reveal his truth to us. Amen. Oh, however, now let, me, let, me, let me just read that over again. Let's don't skim this. Let's look at it real close. I admit it takes a real revelation from the Holy Ghost to see the truth about Godhead these days. When we are in the midst of the perverting of so much scripture, this is the problem. If we leave it like the prophet taught it, we'd have one Lord, one God. Amen. We would know, we would know that God became a man. We would see him in his deity and we would see him in his, in his sonship. And we'd know it was the same God all the time. But men pervert. This is where fallen angels get into it. You know what I'm saying? Fallen angels. Now, so much perverting of so much scripture. But the prevailing overcoming church is built on revelation. So we can expect God to reveal his truth to us. Amen. Now, you see, Jesus taught us that the church itself is really not built on him because he did not want us just building it on the personality of a man. And so, you know, if it's built on Jesus, well, Jesus has went away, right? He has went away. But the church has got every person must have a foundation to build on. If you don't have a proper foundation, then your house will crumble in the storms. And this is why that he tells Peter, when Peter gets a revelation of who he is, that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, so, again, you say, well, you see, Brother Tim, he wasn't God. He was God's son. Now, you're, you're mixing it all up again. The reason he became a son is because God is the creator, and he created his own body to come and live in. Amen. So, that was his product, his creation. That was his, this is where 
God created a body to come and live in. So therefore, it's called the Son. It came out from God. He gave birth to this body. Then he comes and dwells in this body. All right? So Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't get this from man. You got this from a direct revelation from God. And he said, I say, you are Peter, you are a stone, and he says, on this rock... I will build my church. So he said, every stone has to be built on this rock. And that, red, that rock is the revelation of who Jesus is. And when you take away the rock foundation of who Jesus is, he's not a minor God. He's not a secondary God. He's not our elder brother. He's not just another man. He is God himself. And then you take, when you get that revelation that he's your God, that he's your Lord, that he's your Savior, that he's your Redeemer, and you are built on that personal revelation, then the gates of hell will never prevail against you. And that's what people are failing at. They're missing that revelation. They're not built on the knowledge, the revelation of Jesus Christ being revealed personally to them. They're on a secondary revelation. Well, my mother, my daddy, my sister, my brother, this and that one, that my church, that brother Branham, this and that one. Listen, it's got to be the revelation of God personally to you. And that's the new birth. And when you're built on that, Satan's kingdom has no power. Tobacco can never overcome you. Sex sins can never overcome you. Adultery can never overcome you. You're built on the I don't care what the storm goes through. Where you go through, you may be tested in every way, but you'll stand solid. You'll never be washed away. And that's where the church, the church must be built on revelation. The revelation of Christ personally to you. Now, until that happens, you may belong as a member of this assembly, but you don't belong to the church. You cannot belong to the church till you're born again. Because by one spirit, you're baptized into one body. So to get into the body of Christ, you have to be born again. And that new birth is a personal revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. All right? Now, that being so, Brother Branham says, however, you don't need a revelation on water baptism. No, wait a minute. You know, the church is built on revelation, and Godhead takes a revelation, but you don't need a revelation on water baptism. It is right there staring you in the face. 
Would it be possible for one minute for the apostles to be led astray from a direct command of the Lord to baptize in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost and then find them in willful disobedience? They knew what that name was, and there's not one place in Scripture where they're baptized in any other way than in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Common sense would tell you that the book of Acts is the church in action, and if they baptize that way, then that's the way to baptize. Now, if you think that is strong, what do you think of this? Anyone who was not baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus had to be baptized over again. That's Bible too. Amen. God, God put it so plain that a fool couldn't err in baptism. Hmm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody still glad they came to church? Is the fire getting built up in your bones? It ought to. Amen. It ought to give you a real assurance of who you are and fire you up. Set you on fire. Now let's look at another, another parable. We've been through that parable. Something symbolic. That it takes a prophet to reveal its meaning. Now you know. There are some things, because the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. Is that right? Amos 3 and 7 tells us that. Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So, you know, that, so there would be things that God would actually hide from theologians and even smart minds and even saved minds. That he would actually hide it in parables. And he would, he would, because it was reserved for an end time, for an end time people. Are you with me? So, in other words, uh, Jesus would say to the disciples who asked, they asked him, said, "Um, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it is not for you to know. Now, they're, they're, they are his elect people, and yet they are not to know this. It is not, not for you to know about this. He said, no one knows this. You, this is not permitted to know. I'm hiding this. There were things about his coming that he would hide, that he would reserve to the last day, that only... A special prophetic class of people would understand. Nobody else would understand it because it would take a prophet to reveal this. Now, so let's look at this this a moment, you know, because um, it, it would take a prophet, but then it would take again someone born of the Spirit to even understand what the prophet would say. Now, John, for example, he sees a scene in Revelation 4 and 5, and it's described in its symbology. In other words, it's a parabolic form. It's a, it, it is, um, it, it again is, it has a hidden meaning. You know, there's more to it than 
seven lampstands and seven stars and seven Gentile uh, cities and all of, all of them are representing something. Just like in the parable, the seed that the sower went to sow, the sower of the good seed would represent the son of man. The good seed would, would represent the children of the kingdom. The man in black with the evil one would represent the, the, the devil and the other. You see, it's all in the parable. And to understand the parable, then, then you, need, you need the one who wrote the parable Hallelujah. The one who wrote the parable to interpret the parable. And this is why theologians couldn't do it. It's because, you see, it takes the one who wrote it to interpret it. And no man could interpret it. And no man was worthy to take the book and to loose its seals. Amen. But there was a worthy man, and that was Christ Jesus. And he was the only one who had the power to unlock the parable, to take the symbols and make them real. Amen. Like Daniel would walk out, and he would see written within the hand of God, many, many, take on your farce. And the theologians come out, and the wise men, and all of these men come out and said, oh, I think it means this, and I think it means that. Everybody's guessing, and there's confusion. We've had it for 2,000 years. Amen. We've had these books, and you can line books up on. This room could not contain all the books written on the Bible by theologians. But the one who wrote it would have to be his own interpreter. And to do that, he would have to have a mouthpiece. And that mouthpiece would be a prophet. Because this is the only way God has of revealing his word. It never came before through schools of theology. It never comes through the wisdom of man. It comes by thus saith the Lord. This is why a prophet is necessary to come in the last day. You're not going to get a, the, the truth made known without a prophet. And they were guessing about it till Daniel came. But when Daniel came up, he said, this is what it means. You are weighed in the balance and you're found wanting. Now we had that which was written, but in symbol made known by prophet. God's ordained way. He never ordained denominations. He never ordained schools of men. God would ordain a prophet. And to show he was a prophet, he would vindicate him. Amen. Now, you know, we got theologians today who want to take Brother Branham's place, the prophet's place, without a shred of vindication. Oh, he had this miracle, and this happened, and, and even a blind eye was open. We're not talking about a blind eye. We're, we're talking about hundreds of them, thousands of them. We're not talking about a deaf ear. All of every minister is, is, is got the signs follow them that believe. But we're not talking about signs following them that believe. We're talking about God vindicating a voice in this last day. 
and thank you, but we don't need a teacher to come and clarify it or an apostle to make it plain. God was his own interpreter. Now, for he says in Revelation 10, 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he had declared to his servants the prophets. Now, notice here, John saw the scene in Revelation 4 and 5 and described its symbology. So he said, I see a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, a pale horse. I see souls in the... He's describing its symbology. It's all something's representing something. He would say, uh, there are seven churches and seven golden candlesticks and seven stars. And, and, and uh, you know, there are seven spirits of God. And you, know, and, you know, if you're not careful, you can divide God right there into seven pieces and say, he ain't three, he's seven. Because that's the intellect. I can count seven. Seven manifestations of one God. Why can't we see that? Amen. When you look at the, you look at the Bible and you see Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it's just the manifestations of one God. Not three, one. Not three different personalities, one. Not a Father and a Son, one. You say, well, Brother Tim, you're just no oneness. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, oneness is what they were in the days of Moses. He said, here, O oh Lord, thy Lord God. Here, here says the Lord God. The Lord thy God is one Lord. Amen. And when Jesus stood here on earth, he said, this is the first commandment. Still stood in Jesus' day. No matter how many are seeing, there's only one. I mean, no matter how many you can count, it's the same God just changing his mask. Otherwise, he turns us into a bunch of pagans. All right. So John, John, would, would John sees the scene in Revelation 4 and 5. He describes his, theology, his symbology. He sees one sitting on the throne. He sees a lamb. He say, and, and he sees a book. And he sees... Uh, you know, here's a cry go out. All these things. It's in the form of symbol, and it has a hidden meaning. But remember, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he should begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. As he had declared to his servants the prophets. Now, actually, this is in direct reference to the seven thunders that had uttered their voices, and John could only write this symbol form, it's a thunder, and it's in direct, direct reference to seven thunders uttering their voices. And when John said, I heard it, I was going to write, and he said, you can't write it because this is not to be made known to you in this day, but I'm going to send a prophet in the end time. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared his servants, the prophets. Now, how many is with me so far? So, even there, it tells us the seventh thunder revelation, that which was written in, 
even in symbols, closed up his thunders, would be made known by the voice of God of the seventh, the seventh angel in the last day. Now, Brother Branham looks at the same scene in Revelation 4 and 5. And he, he didn't just see it symbology. Somebody help me now. Is everybody with me? Didn't just see it symbology. He made known the hidden meaning. Amen. Isn't this wonderful, church? That means that you're a people that God has imparted the hidden meaning to you. Amen. Which he says, I only do this to my disciples. I only do this for my elect. I only do, oh, do you know, that really makes you a special people because it's no more symbols to you. It is now revelation. Now we know we have been, we have been let into the mystery by the veil being opened right into the presence of God where we can see it in his glory and his power. Somebody help me preach now. Amen. What a people we are. People chosen. No wonder he'd say you're a chosen offspring. A royal priesthood. You can go in his presence. Amen. A holy nation. A peculiar people. Hallelujah. You're called out of darkness into this marvelous light. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know whether to jump, shout, or speak in tongues, but I tell you, I feel like doing all three of them right now. Amen. To realize we have been called, ordained, and set in this age and this time to be the recipient of the divine mystery of God. That to you, the mystery would be made known. But to them, it is not given. And I'll say like Jesus said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear because prophet and wise men and sages of the past were not able to see these things, but you see them. Oh, hallelujah. When John got to seeing it, he began to shout. He began to scream out. And all he could tell was the symbols. What about it when you and I have been privileged to know what it means? <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, so Brother Branham saw the scene. The seventh angel saw the scene and revealed its symbology, making known the hidden, mean, the hidden meaning. John... Now I'm leading you somewhere. I'm taking you down, down the path. John saw the book taken by the Lamb. He heard the thunders roar. He saw the book opened. By removing its seals. Somebody help me. And that did not affect mercy. And it did not remove, for John to see that, did not remove Christ from the mercy seat. Amen. When the scene was revealed to John, 
It revealed the kinsman at work. It didn't reveal no one on the mercy seat. It revealed a lamb doing the work of kinsmen. Somebody with me now. So now, when the scene revealed to John, it revealed the kinsman work. Where the one on the throne was shown symbolically as a lamb. So it's a parable. It's symbols. All right. Now, this lamb is walking out from the throne to claim the title to what Adam lost. It was portrayed symbolically as a lamb, but it represented the God of heaven himself becoming our sacrifice and the perpetuation for sins. That the one on the throne became the lamb. Now, in our day, Brother Branham would meet seven angels. Now, we know this to be the truth. And, and, and then he preached what the thunders uttered. Again, how? It was not carnal. It was by revelation that the seals were revealed. It was not from a school. He said, actually, I went back there and I looked in some of the old books that I have there on this and said that. And I said, that sounds pretty good. So I'll just go tell them what these smart minds have said back there. And he said, I would have made an awful mistake. But about that time, he came in the room. And those revelations from the pillar of fire has changed me where I can never think the same. Hallelujah. Now, it was by revelation that the seals were revealed. Amen. When the book was opened to John, as I said, he saw the throne, the lamb, the book unsealed. He wrote of its symbols. And that did not negate mercy. Nor the intercessory work. Neither did it remove grace. Nor the blood's atonement. For John to see this happen. Did not take away the high priest. In fact he saw the high priest. And to open it by revelation. Now we're coming to our day now. Say, are you still following me? And to open it by revelation to the seventh church age angel did not negate mercy, nor the blood atonement, nor did it remove Christ from the mercy seat. Rather, it revealed Christ on the mercy seat, making known his work of redemption through the seven ages, even until our bodies will be changed. Amen. Unveiled by the open of the seven seals. So that opening of the seven seals would open up the mercy seat. It would show his work of high priest through the seven ages right to our time. That he's still right now. Right now the high priest. Over and over and over, God, God confirms that with the discernment saying, amen, I'm still the high priest. And that you can touch. 
Amen. Brother Branham said he cannot come here now physically, but he's there in the heavens there, and he is there at the right hand of the Father on high. Amen. What is he doing? Making intercessions on our confession. Whatever we confess he did, God does it. Is that right? Amen. So, uh, you see, it's unveiled by the opening of the seven seals. And you can't claim the seals are unveiled to, to, and, and to an empty mercy seat without a high priest on it. You cannot make that claim. One without the seven stripe of blood. No, you see him providing atonement, blood, right here to the end time. Amen. So you're looking through the veil of a lie. Because through your tradition, that's unscriptural doctrine. The word of God is made of none effect. Amen. Now, I'm going to get this quote. And, and um, we're, we're going to just hammer this down just for a moment. It's been veiled through these ages. This unveiling of God. How many is with me? Amen. 1964. Remember, not the veiling of God, the unveiling. Yes, it's showing him in his atonement as priesthood. It's showing who he is. When God is unveiled, you see him that he, he, his redemption work is for you. Right? It has been veiled through these ages according to what God said. And it will be opened in the last day. Those seven seals would be broke. And the full thing would come into view of the people. Hallelujah. What? Through the opening of the seals. So if you are looking and you're seeing an empty mercy seat, you are looking at the denominational system and not God. Because when you get a look of what the revelation of this day is, you're not going to see an empty mercy seat. You're going to see a God rich in mercy. You're going to see a God who pardons, a God who provides grace for the rapture and faith for a rapture. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see healing and deliverance and the power of God under salvation. Amen. And the full thing would come into view of the people. What took place all along the hour of the seventh angel's message? All the mysteries of God made known in that Elijah this last hour. How Christ is put out of his church, the son of God. How he's revealed as son of man again. And the son of man, he said, comes to seek and save that which is lost. Amen. How that church is to be put in order and everything for the last day. No creed, no denomination, just absolutely the word living in the individual. I'll take one and leave one. I'll take this and leave that one. There's, a, there's no strings, no denominations, no bindings, no nothing. It's the heart with God and him alone. Hallelujah. So from the ripping of the veil... The seven seals being taken off. Came back the message, pardoned. The opening of the veil showed the God rich in mercy. Amen. The opening of the veil showed the mighty God unveiled before you. Amen. The opening of the veil shows a token of blood. Somebody help me now. A token of blood. 
amen, is provided for the rapture. And unless I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When I see the blood, I've got to see the blood. And if you hadn't been into that, into his presence, where his blood life, his Holy Spirit has touched your life, you're going to be left behind. That's all there is to it. Amen. It's a free pass from the death angel that is going to the land. Brother Branham would preach these two sermons on the unveiling of God and the mighty God unveiled. And he would, as he comes toward the end of his message, he tells another story, gives a little parable to make an illustration. He said once, there was an auction. And there was an item that came up for sale. And nobody knew its value. And so what he did, he said that they put it up to bid. It was an old violin. And you know, some violins can be worth thousands of dollars. You may not see the meaning in it or the, or, or, or the richness of it, but it can be worth thousands of dollars. And this violin was brought out and showed to the people, who'll give me a dollar, two dollars. He couldn't get a bid. To everybody, it was worthless. But he said, about that time, a fine-dressed gentleman walked up and he said, hand me that bow. And he rosined up the bow and got the bow tightened and strung. And he says, now, give me the violin. And Brother Branham said, He played something like this. There is a fountain filled with blood. I want you to hear what it was played. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And he said it caused such an atmosphere in that place And all of a sudden, they saw the value that was in that old violin. Are you with me? Amen. And when it it did, it went, it went, who will give me a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand. Why? He said it was value was unlimited. Once it was taken in the hand of the master, we've had a book for two thousand years sealed with seven seals and nobody knew its value but God took a little bow a little instrument a 
Amen. He strung him up. He used him. He tightened him down through trials and tribulation and losing a wife and a child. And he used that gift. Come on. And he picked up the old violin of the word and began to saw away. And we begin to see Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there is a fountain filled with blood. Oh, hallelujah. Drop from Emmanuel's veins. Where a sinner plunge beneath that blood. Lose all their guilty sin. And I'll tell you, this book has got value. It's worth everything I can give. It's worth my life. It's worth my, my, everything that I would do. It's worth everything. Because... God sent a message in this day to show you its value. And it's not about the hidden secrets anymore, but it's been revealed to an end time people. I have crossed the river veil where the glories never fail. And I'm in the presence of the king. Amen. How many can say that this morning? been in the presence of the king I see the value of this message of this word he's healer he's savior he's king stand together with me hallelujah hallelujah glory to God we thank you Jesus we thank you Lord we thank you Lord hallelujah Oh, it plays out. There's no God like Jehovah. It plays out. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It plays out. I am the Lord God that healeth thee of all of thy diseases. It plays out. I'm the God of miracles. I'm the God that healeth thee. It plays out all that he is in his glory. Amen. Well, can he... Take his bow of the Holy Spirit now and string it across your heart until you cry out amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amen. Can you say the chains are gone? I have been set free. Can you sing it and the praise to God today? Because we're in the presence of the King. The veil is not closed to you little children. The veil has been opened. How we love him today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. My chains are gone. Let's sing that. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Oh, Jesus. How sweet the sound that saved the from the throne maybe maybe you today you've been bound in the chains of sin and unbelief maybe you today just got an intellectual knowledge of it you know who the atonement was you know yeah Jesus died 
but he's never been made personally to you. I invite you to this altar to find the living God today. The same God that can take the cancer out of the out of a body and take the cancer out of your soul. The same God that where the devil stole the glory of a little girl and God would come back and restore that glory. God can restore glory in your life. I invite you to come find the living God once you find the place in the altar. Amen. See that unveiled God. Amen. You got to see Him in His glory and His power. You want to change to be gone off your life? He's here to do it. You don't have to say or serve them in the bondage of sin. Not one day longer. Amen. Why the Holy Spirit is here. The earth shall soon oh, it will soon dissolve. dissolve Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Oh, yeah. But here's our consolation. personal workers, Brother, Brother James, different ones like you, I want you just to come and pray with these around. If you feel in your heart to come and pray with somebody, won't you come pray with them? Amen. Amen. So their chains can be broken. Today is a day of salvation. He comes to you right now. He comes for your need. For every lost soul, for every soul that needs a touch from God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 